mentorship doesn't mean the same thing to every person. It doesn't mean the same thing in every situation. And it doesn't mean the same thing throughout your career. That mentorship evolves and changes depending on what you need. Welcome back to That Vet Life. In this week's episode, I am joined by Dr. Michael Miller. Michael is a veterinarian, father, and practice owner who strives to find ways of helping vets discover the magic of vet med through his writings based on themes from the much-loved Harry Potter series. In this episode, Michael takes us through his veterinary journey and introduces us to the people that he would now define as mentors through a model that can only best be described as a mosaic of mentorship. Later in the episode, we create a template and list of questions that you can use in your next job interview to write a mentorship clause. I had so much fun talking with Michael about this mosaic model of mentorship, so let's jump into today's episode. Today, we are going to jump into, I don't know, the the word that we were coming up with before, this mosaic mentorship is something that not too many people have heard of, but... The way that you were describing mentorship, because before we were talking about how you were listening to different episodes and you were like, oh, that that like pertains to my story, but but not that part. And then listening to a different episode, you're like, oh, yeah, I align with that, but not necessarily that part. And this idea of mosaic mentorship or, or that mentorship, honestly, is going to be unique to each individual. So I want to dive into your story of mentorship because it's... I feel like a lot of people will align with that, but it's just different to what mentorship is today. Not that it's good, bad, or it's just different. So tell us a little bit, like take us back in time. Like when did you first start jumping into the veterinary profession? Yeah. So before we get to that, I do want to just quickly mention that mosaic mentorship is not my word. So <laughs> It can I be totally your word. <laughs> st- I totally stole that. So when I was doing a presentation on mentorship, there's not a lot of published data about mentorship in veterinary medicine, but there actually was a published article in Vet Clinics of North America last year, and it was Dr. Else out of Atlantic Veterinary College. And that's where I stumbled upon mosaic mentorship. And I was like, oh, that's the thing I've been doing my entire career and I didn't have a name (laughs) for it. So yeah, it came from that. But the very beginning version is that I thought I wanted to be a marine biologist and in undergrad went deep sea fishing and got horribly seasick and decided that's not the career for me and joined the pre-vet club. And so that was sort of the the very origin story of it. But then definitely in vet school, I felt like I was finally in the right place. You know, you felt like, wait, these are my people. The things that I sort of like nerded out about, but I didn't tell everybody I was nerding out about, like these people get it. And so now I'm in the right place and starting to make those connections without really realizing that's what I was doing. Hey, this person likes doing the reptile stuff and I kind of like the reptile stuff. I'm going to go hang out with that person. Hey, this professor really like really piqued my interest in this topic. I'm going to go talk to them about that. And I think at the time, again, it was before mentorship in veterinary medicine was discussed as much. And I kind of, I guess I lucked into it a little bit in some places, but there were definitely some meetings that I had with people where they pushed me into it. And it wasn't necessarily called mentorship. It was just, hey, this person is going to help you. Hey, you're interested in this. Go talk to this person over here. And so I think it was just, we didn't have a word for it necessarily at the time. It just was the way that things were done. But I think the mosaic mentorship to me solidified in my very first job. My first job out of vet school, 
it was at a time uh, 11 years ago when there weren't a whole lot of veterinary jobs, which is hard to think of now that that actually happened. I know but, it's like buyer's markets. So. Right. But at the time I had, I had two job offers and I was trying to choose the, between them. And one of them, the interview was more like a quiz and was like me trying to prove that I was worthy of working there. And the other one, the interview, the interviewer, my boss would have only graduated, I think four or five years ahead of me. So it was oh, wow. still sort of my generation. And all of the other doctors at that practice were within the last five years. So we were a newer practice and there were four other doctors that were all relatively close to me. And the interview process went something along the lines of, hey, we know you're a new graduate. We were a new graduate not very long ago. We know you don't know what you're doing and we want <laughs> you to ask us for help. And it was very different than this other position. The, the feeling was so much more different. And so that's the job that I took. And at that location, I had four other doctors who, again, at the time, I don't think we, we didn't call it mentorship, but I would go to them with cases and it would go to, Hey, I go to this doctor for the wound management stuff. Cause she was really good for that. And I watched this doctor do a spay and I, I didn't like how he did that part, but I love how she did that part. So I'm going to take, so it was sort of this mosaic of choosing from these different doctors that I worked with and building how I wanted to practice veterinary medicine. And I think that was surprising to me at the time, because I kind of had pictured veterinary medicine being more of an apprenticeship model of here's my vet. I'm going to learn everything that they do. And I'm going to mimic this one person. I'm going to mimic exactly what they do. And that's not how it works. No, it absolutely doesn't work that way. And that's why I think it's so cool to talk about it in this like mosaic fashion. And I like why in talking about your story that like in vet school, it's not like you were looking to uh, different clinicians to be like, oh, that person's going to give me that recommendation to go to that internship or you're looking to get something from them. It was just a, a genuine care for you as a student and seeing your interest and wanting to foster that which that's something that I feel like we need to carry into right now. Because a lot of times when we talk about mentorship, it's this is a transactionary relationship. And it's like, no, 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 that, that's not what this is at all, because it's going to fail if that's your only goal for all of your mentorship relationships. So to go into a practice, and nowadays it would be ideal to have at least one key person that you go to for the big things. But it's also really important to almost look at it from the it takes a village type of standpoint. When you bring in a new grad, chances are that new grad is going to learn a little bit of something from each person in the practice. And it should be looked at in that fashion so that everybody has to be on board if you're bringing in a new grad. Granted, everyone kind of has to be on board if you're bringing in a doctor anyway, because that's a whole new personality that's coming into the mix. So that's, I just, oh gosh, it just makes me so excited talking about these things. So let's dive into a little bit deeper with this practice that you started out with the, the mosaic type. I want to kind of go back into how the two different mindsets that you had with, between the two practices. So the one was, we were there not too long ago. We know you don't know what you're doing. We want to help you versus are you sure you're a doctor? Like those are the two frames of mind. And do you think that was because you had more of a peer type of relationship with the one and the other one was just a generational gap? I think there's a little bit of that. And I also think that the longer that you're out, you start to forget what it was like to be a new doctor. I 
still at times consider myself an early career veterinarian, but 11 years is kind of getting to that point where I can't really say that anymore, but it still feels like I'm not that. I mean, I remember going to conferences and hanging out with the students, feeling like those are my peers and then hitting a point where I'm like, I'm not sure that's my peer group anymore, <laughs> which is, uh, yeah, was a bit of a, like a moment of realizing how old you are <laughs> uh, moving to that next transition. But it also sort of, that's the practice that I needed early in my career. And maybe later in my career, that's not the practice that I needed. I needed someone that was going to be more like, hey, I know that you know what you're doing and I'm going to let you do your thing. Whereas earlier I needed a practice that was going to say, hey, we need to check in with you constantly and we want to help you to get to do what we do. You sort of touched on something there for people that are maybe early career, but not new graduates. When you go to a new practice, there still is an introductory period. You're learning how they do records. You're learning how their clients flow through the building. You're learning what the support staff is comfortable doing or not comfortable doing. And so there, there definitely can be a period as a new doctor at a practice, even if you're not, quote, a new doctor, where you are learning the ropes and how things, and you do need a mentor to help you with those types of things. You don't need a mentor at that point to teach you how to address diabetes, but you might need a mentor to say, here's how we handle diabetes and follow-ups and things so that you're still able to fit into the location that you're going to. There's always like little tiny bits that, and I like how you talk about it in the, like a medicine versus all the other skills that go into it. Because there's so many different practice software that you have to deal with. The clientele honestly are going to be different. If you go from a big city to a rural tiny town, those clients are going to be, they want to be talked to differently. They use different language in their community. So learning those things from the people who have been in that community will set you apart and kind of set you off on a faster trajectory. And I guess you would, I don't know, would you consider them, like what would be the, trying to think of like, a, I think like a new grad, you have your mentor who's like the person that you go to for everything and asking these questions, but I guess would they more like a technical mentor or I don't know, I'm trying to think of how to accurately define it if someone is going into a practice and they're like, I want this type of mentor, but I don't know what it is. How would they ask for that? Well, it goes back to that mosaic mentorship of mentorship doesn't mean the same thing to every person. It doesn't mean the same thing in every situation. And it doesn't mean the same thing throughout your career. That mentorship evolves and changes depending on what you need. And I think we need to be able to ask for it as well. Because when people assume that, well, they're going to help me with this, or mm. you're, you're, you're the boss assumes, well, they'll come to me if they need help. There's no way that they would drop a pedicle in a spay and then just try to do it themselves and not tell me they need help. But if you don't have those conversations up front, and I think you bring up a good point with your whole point of the mentorship clause, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it when you start of here's what I need. Is that something you can provide? And make it a conversation both ways. It's not a contract battle of who can get the right thing. It's, hey, we want to make sure we're both on the same page and this is going to work out and this is going to be a mutually beneficial relationship. And we keep coming back to that, that the mentorship is not one way. It needs to be beneficial to both parties. And that changes depending on what each side needs. 
let's take that and let's run with it then. Um, so let's use an example of I'm a new grad, I'm coming into your practice. What are the things as my potential mentor that you would want to ask me about a mentorship clause? So like, because I know people are always asking, they're like, do you have an example for this? And I'm like, uh, let's do it right now. <laughs> yeah. So I think time is something that many people misinterpret. The boss thinks that mentorship means it's a five minute check in over lunch and the employee thinks that it's a three hour session twice a week. Like that's very different, very, very different. And ultimately neither of those is probably appropriate at all. And it's somewhere in the middle, but those are sort of the extremes. Like if you don't talk about it and set up like, Hey, you know what? I think that mentorship means that once a week, we're going to sit down for 30 minutes and go over how things have gone this week. Is that appropriate? Mm -hmm. And make it a discussion. So having some sort of a time associated with there, because again, when you assume that your time frame and the other person's time frame are the same, it doesn't always match. So that time part, I think, is important. Mm -hmm. Time would definitely be one of those first things that I would recommend people talk with their mentor and say, Time from different aspects. So the check-in time, I would say ideally for new grads, you should have at least in your first month a 30-minute check-in at least once a week. That time should be blocked off from your mentor's schedule so they're not seeing clients, they're not answering callbacks. It is specifically just for mentorship and you can hopefully go outside the practice. Granted, not always applicable in every single location, but if you have the opportunity to just sit outside a way where people can't come and barrage you with questions and you can focus on, hey, what was your most challenging case of the week? Or, hey, let's go over that lab work that you've been asking about and really focus down. And also, how are you doing? What are the things from last week that we set a goal for? Did we achieve them? What's for next week? And that would be a target for the first month. And then maybe in month two, you only need uh, if it was twice a week you were setting up these times, it's only once a week or once every other week in reevaluating what you need. But at the start, you should say, all right, this is our this is our plan for the first three months. This is what we're going to do. We can change it as we go because chances are you're going to progress faster than what we're hoping. But we need to have some type of plan in place so we can prearrange our schedules. And ideally, you should be on the same schedule with your mentor for that, at least that first month because, so that they can have an almost like a helicopter visual of what you're doing. And they can just pop over your shoulder and be like, mm -hmm, yep, look, 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 looks like you're doing good. So time from the check-in aspect. And then also time from the schedule aspect of, okay, what do you need as a new grad for your schedule? Because I know a number of people that they went to the practice and they're like, yeah, we're going to give you a nice, easy schedule the first uh, two weeks. What does a nice, easy schedule mean? 30-minute appointments and everything is sick. <laughs> so... Yep. It should, uh, in some places you need, if you can, get hour-long appointments and, and try to make them all wellness for at least the first month, like the first three weeks. And in that time, maybe you start realizing, hey, I'm like twiddling my thumbs here uh, from all these wellnesses. Take on a few admits that are coming in the hospital. Have some more time to learn how to use the computer system in that process because they're in the hospital all day anyway. And then you can learn where the medications are, um, look up the dosages, call the clients, work on that side of it. 
And maybe by the end of those three weeks, you're actually taking on a lot of sick appointments because we know how many wellnesses come in and it's like, oh yeah, by the way. <laughs> so if you're set up for just wellness, you know you're going to end up with a couple sick and eventually build up your skills, get faster. And then by the end of that first month, you can do that check-in and say, hey, my wellness appointments, I'm rocking through them. I can take on a few more sick appointments. And then they can go back and talk to the receptionist and say, you know what? This is the other side. Everybody in the practice has to be on board with this new grad. If you decide in your little meetings that you're only going to do wellness, but you don't tell the front desk and they schedule you with like a giant sick caution dog, eh, who's set up for success there? Nobody. So it has to be the entire practice has to be on board, but I'm running away with it. Time. What's the next thing you want to talk to your new grad about? Well, I think part of your point you had mentioned it earlier is just the expectation of what it was like for different people. So my version of it, when I first started, so here's the wrinkle for you. My first job did not have scheduled appointments. It was ah. walk in only, but it was a location that had only been open for a few years and it wasn't super busy. So okay. we actually did have several periods throughout the day of downtime so we didn't block those off, but that ended up being my mentorship time because there were people that were available to talk. The current place that I'm at, everything is scheduled and we had, had been having monthly doctor meetings. And so everybody would get together from the different locations and be able to sort of share things. And here's an interesting case. Here's what I learned. So those are two very different mentorship models and neither one would have worked in the other location because of of how the flow is so i think that's something before you even write your mentorship clause you need to understand what the workflow is at that hospital because if you're asking for something that's very firmly scheduled and they are a much more free flow practice that's not going to fit with their culture and vice versa. So I think that's maybe another part of this is, do you understand the job that you're taking mm. before you start putting mentorship clauses around it? So I'm so and, glad you highlighted this because otherwise I was going to keep steamrolling ahead. <laughs> so, but I think, I mean, that's the point is veterinary medicine. I think that is the, the change prior to COVID was starting and COVID pushed us even further to it is realizing that not every hospital is the same not every doctor is the same and we need to find the place that fits for you. And also I think there's a little bit of that of when you take a job somewhere, there are some things that you adjust to fit into that culture. And it doesn't mean that you need to compromise your core values or, or things like that, but a job changes you just as much as you change the job. And so having those open eyes when you go into it and being comfortable with taking suggestions. So for instance, if you show up and say, here's my mentorship clause and the boss says, okay, you know what? I think we should tweak this and tweak that. Again, it's not a battle and who's winning. It's got to be a way that, that it fits with everybody. Absolutely. And well, I think it's great to come into it. Like this is a rough idea of a mentorship clause. So I think there's a good outline and that's what we're going to dive into. Keep diving into Absolutely. here. Think about like a resume. Yeah. When you were first making a resume, you didn't just start it from scratch. You had an outline of what your resume was, but you the template that was on Word, those job skills did not relate to veterinary medicine. So you have to make, so it, it, it's great to start with a template, but also to not get too rigidly fixed in it, which again, 
is veterinary medicine in a nutshell. Here's what I learned in school. Here's what I'm approaching it with. Okay, how do I apply that to real life? Now a quick word from today's show sponsor. Do you want to be part of a positive change in veterinary medicine? That's the question we're asking in our landmark veterinary employment, engagement and retention survey, which is now open. Maybe you're one of those people who are struggling, or on the other hand, you might be really enjoying your work and practice. No matter how things are going, we'd like to hear from you so we can build a clear picture of the state of the profession. We'll be writing and publishing a report based on the study findings so that everyone involved with veterinary medicine has access to a body of evidence that answers some of the key questions about what we're getting right and what we're getting wrong. If you're someone who cares about the future of veterinary medicine, then we'd now like to invite you to complete the survey. Your voice matters and it should be heard. It won't take long to complete and the more people who take it, the more reliable and influential the results will be. And if altruism isn't enough, then as well as being part of a positive change in veterinary medicine, you'll also be entered into our prize draw where you could win a selection of prizes each week, including a 50 buck Amazon gift voucher, up to 10 Starbucks coffee cards, and five copies of my ebook, So You're a Vet, Now What? To take the survey, head to vetexinternational.com forward slash V-E-E-R. That's Victor Echo Echo Romeo. You'll be contributing to a better future for veterinary medicine when you do. Now back to the show. Let's take our template then and go back to it. We talked about time from a uh, meeting up and checking in and then also time from a schedule standpoint. But what are some of those other things that we should include in our template? I think who is involved with it is the other part that's very key. And again, that was something that changed from my first job to my second job. My first job, I had a boss. If I was asked, I would have considered him a mentor. The other doctors that I worked with looking back were just as much mentors to me, but in a different relationship because they were more colleagues and this was my boss. So there is a little bit of a different level of conversation that happens there. And it was kind of everybody. Whereas in my next job, it was multiple locations and only two or three doctors at each location. So it was much clear, like this is the one person that you are going to be matched with. And this is where the discussion happens. And so just because in your clause, it says that here's the person that you're going to check in with once a week does not mean that you can't have valuable relationships with other people that you work with. But starting off, especially right now with everybody being so busy and with us trying to be able to schedule it, having a set person that this is the person you're going to go to for this time. I think that's the other part that's important. And I got lucky in my first job that I had five people, four people, and I was the fifth doctor who together mentored me. But I've also heard of multiple people that end up somewhere where if everyone is doing it, then no one is doing it. Well, everybody's your mentor. Well, that means that you don't actually have a mentor. So some of it comes on the person too, of like making sure you're discussing that. But I think that would be the the other part of the clause. Mm -hmm. When are we meeting? How long are we meeting? Who am I meeting with? Oh yeah. I guess that's a good way to do it is like do a who, what, when, where, why type of template. So I guess the, the additional part of that is we talked about like the actual mentorship and the time and the talking, setting up expectations for the medical side of it is also an important one because of course students are coming in with different levels of experience 
you maybe have a, a new grad who they spent three summers at a spay neuter clinic and they can rock out those old dog spays like no one's business. Or maybe you have someone who's a little bit less experienced and or maybe just hate surgery, but still needs to get their their hands dirty. And like, how do you talk about the needs of these new grads and talking about surgery and just medical experience? Yeah, I think that's a, a very good point. And, I, and I, again, I think most new graduates, when you think of mentorship, you think of surgery. Like that is one of the things that comes top of mind. Am I going to be left alone in surgery? So just maybe that's part of this is what does having a mentor for surgery mean? Does that mean that they're going to be in the building, seeing appointments and doing all the other things, but they're in the building? Or does this mean you're going to be scrubbed in next to me for the first three weeks? So because that surgery part can induce so much anxiety and can be something that most people find really important, then maybe that's something that is specifically spelled out in your mentorship clause is, hey, I want this to happen for my surgeries for, for this amount of time. This is what I expect. And I think, again, your point of putting it in writing means that everybody knows what it is. Because I also came from a generation where there were a lot of people who went on a job interview and there was a verbal, oh, this is exactly what we do. And then they show up and the person doing the interview doesn't actually work at that hospital. They worked for a chain of 15 hospitals and they don't know what actually happens there. And you agreed to this and you show up and that's not what happens. And so especially if there's something like that with like surgery that is stressing you out, then pull that out and talk about that specifically. If that's going to be a pain point, then let's discuss it. Again, I think, I think a lot of this comes back to let's talk about the things that you're worried about. And then instead of just talking about it, let's put it in writing so that everybody knows it's just putting it, like you said, like have the conversation and you have to put it in a way that like everyone has an expectation. You can hold them to that standard for you as the mentor and for me as the mentee, because I got to hold up my side of the bargain too. If I come in and say, hey, I can do these type of procedures on my own or really confidently, I better be able to do that because you're trusting that I can go off and sedate a dog safely and you don't have to be over that they're hovering over me for the first three or four times that I do that. But essentially just, yeah, being able to hold yourself to a standard, be able to hold your mentor to a standard. It's a two-way street. All of this comes back to that. But I think for all these new grads at, at this point, when this episode's going out, they're starting to look for jobs and they're in a market where it's anybody's choice. Honestly, you can go and drop a pin in a city and you can have 10 job offers and they're going to be putting offers in front of you as fast as they can. And I think it's really important to say, Honestly, you don't have to, and you probably shouldn't take the first job that's offered to you. That was a bit of advice that was given to me, and I'm so glad I took it because it saved me a whole world of pain. I and didn't. yeah, it, it's just a like you think about it and you're like, oh, but what if this is the perfect job? Okay, well, then look at a few others. You can circle back around, it'll be fine. And then going in and really sitting down and having a chat with yourself and saying, okay, what are the things on this template that I want to answer this question to of like, who would I want my mentor to be? How often do I think I need to chat with someone? What are my surgical comforts? What are my medical comforts? And using that and building it out so that when you go and you talk to them and they say, all right, what are you looking for in a job? You can actually say something and not just sit there staring at them. 
So that shows a lot of uh, initiative on your side that you've been able to think through these things. It shows that you are a good doctor because you're thinking about what you need to set you up for success. But then also saying, you know what, by doing this, I'm able to give back to the practice and build it up in this way because these are my goals for myself and the practice for the next five or 10 years or however long you're, you're hoping to be at that practice for. So it's really worth having those discussions with yourself and then with your potential interviewers and your future potential mentors. And one other part of that is a wrinkle that most people don't think about. So I wanted to do exotic animal medicine. I ended up at a location at my first job where they were going to let me do exotic animal medicine, which was code for nobody else here knows anything about exotics. So here I am that that's what I, this is my passion and this is what I want to do. And I'm working somewhere where I don't have an on-site mentor for that. So they allowed me, not they encouraged me to find mentorship elsewhere. And I think that's another point of veterinary medicine is if you can't get what you need from the place where you work, it is a small community and you can find other people. And from an employer standpoint, are you willing to let that person find the mentorship outside of the hospital? Because that helps you to help them bring in things, ideas and skills and things that they can't learn at your location. And so I ended up connecting with a peer mentor of mine from vet school. And I asked to go and shadow at her hospital once a month. And it was an exotic only hospital. So I would go spend one of my days off a month to go and shadow and just see how they did things and then kind of bring back ideas. And that made me feel comfortable with seeing exotics at a dog and cat practice because mm -hmm. that's the situation that I was in. I've heard of some people that'll do that with surgery. They want to learn orthopedic surgery and nobody at their practice does it. They find somebody that they can go and shadow and work with because for as many wonderful CE opportunities that there are out there, taking one CE class and then trying to do it on your own is terrifying. And you've got to have that mentor if you're going to bring in a new skill that you don't have, have that support on site. So that's another again, mosaic mentorship, it doesn't have to be only people that you are working with. You can have a network in veterinary medicine that can help fill those gaps and you can bring things to the practice and make your job more enjoyable by finding things outside of the practice. And I feel now is the time where that's even more accessible because we have social media and the Vetstagram community like for both of us, we can open up our phones and we can scroll through and I can find at least three or four different exotics veterinarians, ER veterinarians, equine veterinarians. And for the most part, they'd all be willing to, if you said, hey, I want to learn more about this. Can I come and like spend time with you? Most of the time they're going to say yes. Or at least you can learn through the content that they're posting and get an idea of where to start. And that is what I think is so cool about the current age of veterinary medicine compared to what it was like 10 or 11 years ago when you first started. It's crazy how this has all changed. And it's interesting to think of where we're going to be in the next 10 to 12 years. And at that point, I'm going to be old news and there's going to be new grads and I'm going to wonder what's going on in the whole profession. I think you just called me old news there. So I'm going to overlook that for a <laughs> second. And instead, I'm going to pretend like I'm a 12 year old and talk about Harry Potter. So, yes, let's do this. <laughs> so we don't have to be Victor Crum and Hermione that are writing pen pal letters to each other. The technology is there now that we can communicate in ways virtually and create those mentorship relationships that are much more valuable than, than having a pen pal that you correspond with once a month. 
So the technology that we're around is the magic that helps us to connect and find these mentors to people that are not only just like on the other side of the country, but on the other side of the world. I have somebody who I would consider a mentor who's a veterinarian in Australia. And when I start talking about bearded dragons with owners, I can say, hey, I know this vet that sees them in their in the wild and here are things that he thinks. And now I have a new perspective that I can add that I wasn't gonna get from visiting the clinic in the nearby city. So you have these connections that you can make and can bring value to your profession. I love how you just seamlessly tied in Harry Potter vet to that. I was like, yes, here we go. <laughs> because I, I got was my three things. I got, Harry, I got yep. Harry Potter, I got reptiles, and I got, I studied abroad in Australia. So even though I'm American, I have like an affinity for Australia. So I got go. all of them in one, in one story. <laughs> But I love how you're able to tie Harry Potter into that because we are actually going to dive a lot deeper into the Harry Potter vet, what that is, where it came from in the bonus content, which you guys will have access to if you're in the Thrive community. So go over to VetX International, sign up, it's free, and then you can have access to this bonus content where we're going to talk about the Harry Potter vet and where it all came from. You don't want to miss that. But before we do that, I want to give you the opportunity to talk a little bit about just a brief little synopsis of what Harry Potter vet is, um, where people can find you, and then we'll put all that information in the show notes. Yeah, so Harry Potter vet, I'll get into the origin a little bit in more detail in the next one. But basically, it's my sort of side project to help myself and others discover the magic in veterinary medicine. It's not uncommon for us to lose that magic along the way. And sometimes you have to continue to search for it and realize why you got into this profession to begin with and be able to see the awesome, magical things that we can do as veterinarians. And so my Instagram is the main place. The Vetstagram community is amazing. Harry Potter at Harry Potter Vet. And that's where I, I share most of my magic. But I will say that I've been a little bit slower recently because I do have two little boys at home that my wife and I are trying to keep alive. And so I have been playing Dumbledore more recently where people sort of want to connect with me and I say, I'm busy, but this person can help you. So sometimes even if you do reach out to somebody and the answer is no, there are enough wonderful people in this profession that most of the time it's no, but here's somebody who can help you. So mm -hmm. it never hurts to reach out even when, when people are overwhelmed and uh, with other things going on. We really want to help each other and, and build this, this wonderful veterinary community on Instagram and in real life as well. <laughs> and if you guys have not checked out the Harry Potter vet, all the links will be in the show notes and definitely go and say hi on Instagram. He's an awesome human being, definitely willing to help out whatever he can. And I just want to thank you so much for coming on the show and chatting about Mosaic Mentorship, really diving into this mentorship clause and also just the aspect that reminding us that just because like someone talks about their experience, it's going to be different than someone else's. And it's okay for you to say, hey, that wasn't my experience, but this is mine. And that just makes our profession so much better. So thank you so much for coming on the show. And if you guys want to hear more, definitely go and join the Thrive community. But you can find this podcast wherever podcasts are found. But until next week, y'all, see ya. Bye. And that's a wrap on today's episode of That Vet Life Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Now, before you go, I have a quick request. Now, podcasts and communities, they grow the best and they grow the biggest when the members spread the word. 
So if you know someone who you think needs to hear this episode, or if you found value in this episode and want to share it, go ahead and share this with your friends. And also don't forget to head over to vedexinternational.com and enroll in the VEDEX community for free to get access to a bonus version of this show. You'll also get some free swag and many, many other amazing benefits. Also, leaving a review of the show on iTunes would be greatly appreciated because, again, it just helps get the word out. But until next time, y'all, I hope you enjoyed this episode of That Bet Life.